Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado Radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning. Just getting ready, letting the golf guys out of the studio. I'll tell you what, it's... uh, I, I, I talked to the National Weather Service, and they have assured me that winter is going to end by 4th of July, 2020. I mean, this is getting, I mean, I know we can get bad weather this time of the year, and I know we can get snow and we can get everything else, but really, I mean, really, we are just, uh, it is... I think everybody checked out. You know, we had that great weather in the middle of January where it was phenomenal. And I actually kind of moved on from ice fishing looking for open water activity. I did some traveling. I'll admit I was in some warm states and things. But I I expect we're going to get bad weather. But then we're going to get lots of good weather, too. We've got a few good weather days. We just haven't got a lot of... uh, haven't had enough, and it hasn't been continuous. So it's really been affecting fishing. We try on this show to really um, keep you in tune with current conditions so you can go out there and enjoy them and kind of know what's going on. And in summer, if you get these weather changes, they're not as volatile. But we've got things like we've got the spring cold fronts that are going to affect spawning fish and fish recovering from the spawn. We're going to have runoff issues that are going to greatly affect trout fishing and how we approach that. Uh, We're going to have moisture issues. We're going to have boating issues, uh, high water issues. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't going to be tremendous opportunities. There will be. But you're going to have to be ready to adjust to them uh, the day you go out. And for a while, until we get some more consistent weather, planning ahead of time is going to be very difficult. So I think what we'll do is we're going to try today to um, to really give you an overview of what's going on, how we expect it to unfold the next few weeks, and maybe a few tips about getting ready for fishing, too, because on this on and off weather is a great time to get your gear out. But let's go to the phones right now. And joining us, I believe he's down at Shields. He may not be there yet, or he might be. I think he probably is, is Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. Yes, I've I've been here for about a half hour now. Yeah, it's uh, a great place. You guys are. Well, tell people kind of what's going on down there. Uh, Today is Shields Big Fish Fest, which is their big kind of spring fishing event. And they have a bunch of sales going on, a lot of products, you know, 20% off or more. And then the other thing they're doing is a phenomenal lineup of seminars covering everything from lake trout fishing, kokanee salmon, trolling, bass fishing. Um, the guys from BioBait are going to be here and talk about their product. And then at 3 o'clock, I'll be talking about walleye fishing. Yeah, and there's a lot, lot going on, so it's a great place. And that goes today and tomorrow. And I think, isn't tomorrow a bunch of uh, kids' activities? Yep, tomorrow is targeted towards kids, and that's going to run from 10 to 3. And so there's going to be seminars and a lot of learning stations for the kids tomorrow. And then the other thing today, they are giving away three guided fishing trips at a couple of the seminars, and you have to be an attendee of the seminar to be eligible to win it. So I know, I believe it's the Lake Trout one that's running from 10 to noon. There's going to be a, a guided trip given away. 
I believe it's the Kokanee one at 1045 to 145. And then my seminar at three, I'll be giving away a guided trip to Boyd Lake. Well, and you know, a great time to come down. Another reason to come down and get because of all the sales is that with this weather, a lot of people have been ready to get out, but the weather's been on and off. Some of them don't want to fight the changing conditions. Some do. Some are going to fish no matter what. But this is usually a great time to start going through your rods, reels, and tackle, replacing hooks, sinkers, and especially line. Oh, it is so crucial. I I think one of the biggest mistakes new anglers make is they don't replace their line often enough. You know, that, that's our one connection from where the fish is hooked to our rod that we seem, so many anglers seem to neglect. And especially with, you know, the monofilament, it, it's made a ton better than it was when we were growing up and fishing, Terry. But it, without a doubt, needs to be replaced at least once a year, if not every few months, to get the, to have it perform at its, its peak the nice thing about braid and fluoro is it will last a little bit longer, but still changing that out is going to help you land more fish. Well, and the the line technology used to be, too, that you had monofilament. Uh, you had like XL and XT or those type of things, one more abrasion resistant, one more limp. Then with the advent of the super lines and the development of more castable fluorocarbons, the line choices have gotten so much better, but every year, every one of these companies comes out with new innovations in line, and you don't need to buy the newest one all the time, but you should at least look at it because it may have a characteristic that really improves your fishing. Yeah, you want to at least look at it and be knowledgeable about what it is because, as you say, there may be a presentation style that the line you currently are using isn't working for you, and so you may want to look at making that change. You know, one of the big things that I preach, I, I, I fish a lot of braid on my jigging rods. And one of the things I preach is having a high visibility line and not white. Because when we're out here in the West and we get those flat calm days with the white puffy clouds, the water surface turns white. And with a white line, you can't see that. And you know how important watching your line is for jigging. So if you just change it to a yellow or a green or an orange, something that's high visibility, you're going to end up seeing more bites and getting a chance to catch more fish. Yeah, I want to move on from line, but before we do, I want to comment on what you just said. Everybody worries about, you know, visibility to the fish. Brad is right, hit the nail right on the head. It's more important for you to be able to see your line in most cases than it is that the fish can't see it. And because you're just making... I would completely agree. Brad, so we've got, you know, we had this weather come in this last week. We had last Monday and Tuesday was 70, 80 degrees. The water warmed up substantially. I'm sure we saw a lot of post-spawn walleye activity, probably a lot of pre-spawn bass and panfish activity. Um, I'll, I'll talk to Nate later about what he's seeing going on in the pike at 11 Mile Spinney. But... Then we got this front that came through, and it got really cold. In fact, you mentioned to me some ponds actually kind of glazed over with some ice, not fishable ice, but made it difficult, and the water temperatures dropped back down. Typically, cold fronts in the spring affect fishing, not all species and not all types of water, but they affect it usually more than a cold front in late summer or fall, which can actually improve fishing at times. So kind of we're 
today's going to be kind of miserable, it looks like, but tomorrow's going to be fairly nice, not as nice as maybe we'd like it, but then uh, Sunday and Monday are going to be fairly nice, and it's going to kind of gradually stay that way until Tuesday night into Wednesday we're going to get another front. So as you look out at the next few days, what do you think you're going to see happen, and, and how would you approach it? Well, you know, I, I think a lot of the post-spawn walleye activity that's going on a lot of those fish move back out deep, and deeper fish are going to be less affected by these cold fronts. So if I'm going out today or tomorrow, I'm going to be looking for something that's a little bit deeper off the shoreline. Um, that could even be crappies out there suspended. Uh, so I'm going to target the deeper stuff for the next, say, 24 to 36 hours. As soon as we get one full day of warm weather, that's warming those shallows back up. They're, they're ready to warm up quick, especially if it's sunny out. Find that shallow uh, north bank that's, that's facing to the south with either some riprap or a mucky bottom like cattails. Those are going to warm up quicker. They're going to have more bug activity. And then I'm going to start looking in there because, like you say, this last week I was seeing bass starting to move up. You know, the panfish, the, the bluegills were starting to move up. You were seeing that surface activity with some bugs hatching. So that provides an opportunity, those, those warmer areas, for, you know, you to go out and catch trout or bluegill or crappie that are all going to be feeding on those, those little invertebrates that are coming up. And then the bass are going to be moving in right there with them. The one tip I would give people if you're going out there to fish that stuff is, as opposed to what I said for the next, 36 hours of trying to fish deep the the problem most people are having fishing those shallow spots in lakes or ponds is they're fishing too deep i've been fishing a few ponds and catching a lot of crappies and my jig is between is no more than 18 inches below my float and usually only about 12 inches below and that seems to be the key if you go much deeper you're fishing underneath the fish and we both know very rarely do fish ever go down to feed. You need to make sure you stay above them. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think tomorrow, um, I would, you know, not that you shouldn't go after the bass and panfish tomorrow, but tomorrow if it does clear up and water's still cold, I would focus on the trout because the trout aren't going to be as affected as much. The rainbows are instinctively still trying to spawn. There's a lot of activity. Browns are chasing eggs. So the shallow water on the front range, and by the way, the mountains, there's very little open water. I mean, most of that is still frozen. I don't know if it's approachable where you can get out on it or not, but you probably, if you want to fish open water, need to stay at lower elevations. But I would focus on lakes where the ice has just receded. If you just want to catch fish, the trout should cooperate probably the best, don't you think? Oh, I would completely agree. The trout are going to be really active this time of year. And what you said about the ice receding is key. That lake does not have to be ice-free. There just has to be enough distance that the open water gets you out to a fishable depth. And then, then if there's a sheet of ice out there in the middle, that's fine. Those fish are going to be cruising the shoreline. Most of those fish are going to be in that open water where you're going to be able to catch them. So some of those mountain waters where the ice has been receding, could be on fire the next day and a half. And then the plains, you know, the, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife has been really active in stocking their uh, catchable trout, and they do a lot of the smaller ponds this time of year. 
So take a look at the website and look to see where they're, they've been stocking. And you might be able to get in on some small pond fishing that would have some great trout fishing with a chance of catching some warm water fish if it warms up. Yeah, and by the way, Hatchery is going to join us later on this hour to go over where they've been stocking and how they choose where they stock and what times of the year. We're also going to talk about antler sheds. Other than those two segments, we're pretty much going to be focused this whole show on getting you out in spring fishing. Now, we talked about the warm water species. If I was going to focus on the warm water species... You can catch fish tomorrow, even though we're coming off, or even today, coming off this cold front. In fact, Nate Zielinski's having a tournament at Cherry Creek today. We'll get an update from that and find out how they're doing. So we'll get a live on-the-water report there. But the best time after a cold front in the spring like this is usually to give it a day or two. I would think Tuesday going into, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tuesday night, and even Wednesday morning as this moves in. But Tuesday, Monday, we're going to have pretty stable weather. Tuesday, it's going to be the warmest. Tuesday is going to be warm. It's going to start to deteriorate during the day. I would think we may see a little bump in feeding. But the key that happens this time of the year, Brad, and I want to get your comments on this, is the fact that spring fishing can be some of the most productive. You can catch some of the biggest fish of the year as far as the warm water species. It can also be the toughest bite. You might get a bunch of fish one day and get zero the next day, you may get that 10-pound walleye, or but you only may get three bites on the day you get it. It's very erratic. You have to have patience more than anything fishing warm water this time of the year. Yeah, you definitely do. Uh, the walleye bite has still been pretty good. Uh, I know the night fishermen from shore are still catching some really big fish. Hopefully Nate is, and his event is going off well, and some people are out there catching fish. I heard he had a, a good turnout for that. Um, if they're wanting to learn more, the Colorado Walleye Association has a tournament um, the last weekend in April at Cherry Creek as well. So that is another opportunity to learn. But you're you're absolutely right as far as the ups and downs. The one thing I would tell people that's a lot different about the springtime fishing than the you know summer fishing in particular is a lot of people are those early risers want to get out there first thing in the morning. And, and fish, you know, until 8 o'clock in the morning, hit that sunrise bite. I find that that evening bite is better, the afternoon, evening, because it's allowed that water temperature to warm up, and it's a little bit more consistent. And so even though you might have those peaks and valleys like you're talking about, they aren't going to be as high or as low if you're able to go out in the afternoons. No, you're absolutely right. Brad, we got to go, but tell people again about the two days at Shields that you're participating in starting today. Yep. Uh, today, starting uh, at 10 o'clock, so we're already rolling. Uh, Shields is doing their fish fest, and they've got a lot of vendors here uh, talking about, you know, helping answer questions about products. They've got seminars all day long from lake trout to kokanee to trolling to bass and walleye, uh, some fantastic sales and uh, giveaways as well. And then tomorrow from 10 to 3, they're doing a kids event. So if you want to come down, have some kids that want to learn some stuff, I'm going to be doing knot tying. There's a variety of seminars to kind of help kids go out and learn what they need to to go out and catch some fish on their own. All right, Great my time to bring a family down and uh, learn more about fishing. All right, my friend, we've got to run, but it sounds like a great event for people who want to, if you can't be out fishing, you should at least be talking, fishing, and listening, and sharing information. Thank you, Brad. 
Thanks, Terry. You bet. Brad Peterson from Brad Peterson Outdoors down at Shields today and tomorrow. A lot of activities. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to switch things up. We're going to talk about uh, shed hunting right here in Colorado on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is presented in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer and one of the favorite partners of our show. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Rachel Srala. Rachel, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for patiently waiting. We were covering some fishing, but I think we got something important to cover here, too. You know, I was commenting on the weather earlier and this on-again, off-again weather. I think there's more people with cabin fever this year than I've ever seen where there hasn't been enough of those good days to get out. And when we get one, everybody just wants to get out. And I know you want to talk about shed hunting, which is a really popular activity in Colorado, one that can be both rewarding and a lot of fun. But I think between the cabin fever and and how fun that can be, there's a, been a few people jumping the gun. Yeah, there have. And I would fully classify myself as one of those people that is ready for spring, ready to be out and about and hiking and enjoying the outdoors. I'm ready for it to quit snowing and dry out. And so I totally feel why people are ready to get out and go shed hunting. And um, unfortunately, we have had some some violations of the shed hunting closure. Um, but it's a really important thing that we did to protect our wildlife is put that closure into place. And that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit today is to just spread a little bit more knowledge about why we've gone that route. Well, let's start with what are the regulations? When can you and when can you not hunt sheds? So I'm over here in Kremling, um, Colorado over in Middle Park. So I'm on the Western Slope and that's why we're dealing with this out here. But the regulation is that uh, west of I-25, it's it's illegal, it's unlawful to um, search for, collect, or possess shed antlers on public lands from January 1st through April 30th. Um, There's not a regulation on private land, so we're talking about public lands here. And there's many reasons for this. Now, a lot of people, when they think, oh, May 1st, well, you know, you guys just, it's just some regulation you put in place to, to keep us out and make it more fair or something like that. But that's not the case at all. First of all, um, you want people to go out and hunt these sheds eventually. It's fun. We, we do everything we can, I know at this show and at Parks and Wildlife, to get people outdoors. That's our our mission, is to get them outdoors and help them enjoy it. But there are legitimate reasons, especially this year, why we really don't want them out in those areas where those animals are this time of the year, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, the heart of this issue is uh, here, especially in Middle Park, where we have concentrated winter range and a variety of animals, deer and elk, that come down and and are really vulnerable during the winter, especially this year. They've had we've had a really long winter. It's been a really tough winter with high snow loads. So these animals are still working on making it through the winter. Um, the females of both species are working on growing their cows and excuse me, their fawns and their calves, and and getting those gestation periods completed before they move up to their production areas. So they're still working off of the fat reserves and the reserves that they had from last fall. So this is the really critical time of year where we haven't really greened up yet. They don't have a lot of 
good nutritious food sources available to them yet. So this is that that really critical point where we just don't want to be putting too much pressure on them that yeah. could impact. You're absolutely right because they lose, I don't know if people realize, they lose a tremendous amount of their body weight over the winter. And it's natural. That's what they're, they've evolved so that they can survive Colorado winters. But they, I think sometimes up to what, like 40% of their body weight? Is that right? Or it's it's a huge you know, number. I don't know a number off the top of my head, but that would not be unreasonable in my estimation because they lose body fat, they lose visceral fat. But they also, when animals are in really poor condition, they'll start to lose the fat and the good reserves that are in the bone marrow. So it's a, it's a full body reserve to get them through winter. Right. And now, like I said, they're, they're designed they're They've evolved to, but we've, but, but they also evolved that they weren't going to get pressured a lot in the spring that there, there was really not much out there, but they don't get a lot of predator activity and we don't do hunting in those times of the year. And so we really don't want to move them or disturb these animals. That's the whole point of the shed hunting. And one of the things I want to say is if, if there's wintering animals in area, I know it's illegal to shed hunt. You certainly can't do that. But think about where you're going to plan your activities. Don't go snowmobiling or hiking or or any other outdoor activity in those areas, even if it's not restricted. If you're going to go want to watch the animals, do that from a very safe distance and use uh, optics because anything that moves them, with this winter we've had this year, um, it, it could really put some stress on our herds. Absolutely. And we're all ready to get out, and and as the animals are starting to move up, it's getting easier to do that without bumping deer and elk. But we just really encourage people to be responsible and to be mindful and looking out and seeing where, if I would like to walk up this the side of this hill, okay, there's some deer there. Can I take a different route? So I can still get out, enjoy, get my exercise, get my dogs some exercise without just bumping those deer um, or those elk. And dogs and are just to be mindful of that. Yeah, and dogs are a great point to bring up. A dog running loose can really move the animals. You got to be very really? cognizant of that. Another thing that's going to happen very soon. We got about two minutes left here, and you mentioned sure. it when you were talking, and that's that these animals. Soon we're going to see calves and um, fawns coming, and people will find will come across these in the in the wilderness in the outdoors and sometimes even in almost suburban settings and they panic they think it's been abandoned and the worst thing in the world you can do is have contact with that animal absolutely these critters they'll start to calve and fawn into beginning in may and we know that those animals leave their young they have very little scent to them they're actually very very difficult for predators to find so they just lay down, they hold very still, and don't put out a lot of um, scent or movement. And when we pick them up, we introduce human scents to them, um, cause a lot of stress to that small, small animal, and can actually, as you mentioned, do a lot more harm than good, even though we really do have a good intention of trying to help it. So the best, best place for that animal, if you do walk across of, of small fawn, is usually what it is. The best thing for it is just leave it alone, stay away from it. Mom will come back um, if she feels that it's safe to do so. So if we can just stay away from those guys completely, they'll grow up and, and be recruited into the population. Um, I know my I'm a total softie. I want to see them and I want to help them, but 
sometimes the hardest thing to step back is actually the best best thing for that that little tiny critter. Well, and if your instincts tell you that the animal might be in stress, or if you come across a larger animal that's distressed, the last thing in the world you want to do is try to help them in any way. You call Parks and Wildlife. They'll have somebody come out and make a determination. Stay a very far distance away because you you can just do so much more harm than good. We're going to have to let you go now, but um, the shed season opens up when? May 1st. So they can go, and that's west of I-25, and I would think that's a great activity. I've actually never done shed hunting in Colorado, but I'll bet you the people really have a good time and are very successful here because we have an extremely large elk herd, and we have a good deer deer population too. So sounds like a lot of fun. And like you, I am done with winter. <laughs> I am <laughs> Rachel, I am I had checked out from winter in those warm days in January and then I got beat up by six weeks more of it. So I am ready for this to go away. <laughs> Me too. Thank thanks for joining us. Thanks, Terry. Have a great one. You bet. That's uh, Rachel from Parks and Wildlife. We're gonna take a time out. We come back, we're gonna talk to the people from the hatcheries and how they benefit the fishing here and how maybe you can take advantage of what they do to have better fishing outfits right here, outings right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Dire Straits, you got to listen to the guitar licks. All right, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I could listen to that for a while, but we better get on with the show. Let's go right back to the phones. And uh, joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Dave Carr. He's with Hatchery Operations. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing? You know, I'll be doing better when I see the sun on a more regular basis, my friend. But <laughs> yep, I hear you. <laughs> but you know what? You, if you can't be outdoors or if you don't want to be outdoors, talking outdoors and understanding it and getting ready is the, the next best thing. Now, you're with the hatchery system, and I think there's, you know, we're so blessed in this state to have the diversity of fishing we have. We have uh, the cold water fisheries of the trout and uh, Mackinaws and Chars. And then we have the warm water species from bass to wipers to stripers to uh, panfish like crappies and bluegills. And we have incredible walleye fishing and sogai and sauger. So we're very, very blessed. But, you know, most people don't realize that if it wasn't for stocking and hatcheries, 90% of the fish in Colorado aren't from here. That's true. Yeah, there's very few actual native sport species uh, for Colorado. And hatcheries do a tremendous job um, providing recreational fishing opportunity for people in this state. And um, another thing that people don't always realize is that um, a lot of angling pressure in this state, there's too much angling pressure in this state for uh, natural reproduction in a lot of instances. So hatcheries do a really good job of sort of bridging that gap between um, angler demand and uh, fish populations. Well, I I beg to differ that you do a good job because I've had outings when I haven't caught fish and it couldn't possibly be my fault. (laughs) No, you (laughs) know what? No, you do. You do an excellent job. You really do. And I want to, I'll go through some of the opportunities more with you and how I approach them and how you guys maintain them. But why don't you kind of tell us the types of 
uh, fish you do raise and stock in Colorado? Um, so Colorado State Hatcheries, we have we operate 18 different facilities, and we stock uh, 16 of those. Um, excuse me, 15 of those are what I would consider to be dedicated cold water hatcheries. And those are the hatcheries that we stock trout and salmon and char out of, um, anywhere from rainbow, brown, brook, um, and some of the hybrids, such as splake and tiger trout and uh, other, other cold water species like that. And then we have some warm water hatcheries as well that stock um, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, uh, wiper, walleye, tiger muskie, channel catfish. Uh, it's a pretty extensive list, really, when I start to say it out loud. Um, there's really not a whole lot of sports species that Colorado doesn't stock at some point in the year. Now, the stocking, I want to get to the catchable trout in a little bit, but I want to kind of talk about a lot of the fish you just mentioned, including the trout, are stocked subcatchable or as fry or fingerling, and that's done so they grow up, first of all, a lot of these fish are expensive to raise in a hatchery, so you can't raise them to the size of catchable trout, and it just wouldn't be economically feasible. But they're also stocked so they can develop more naturally in a lot of the waters you put them in. Is that right? Yeah, that's true, and it really depends on both the biology of the fish that we're stocking and the uh, particular water that we're going to stock them in. Um, some lakes just aren't conducive for growing trout, and it makes more sense for us to grow them in a hatchery and put them in um, as what we call catchable fish. Other lakes are very productive, and we can put smaller trout in there and let uh, sort of nature do the work for us and uh, let them grow up into catchable fish. And, and I think with the warm water species, a lot of times you're not where the trout can be stocked on a more regular basis at times. A lot of times you don't have to stock bass. Um, and we'll talk about walleyes in a minute because they're a little different, but bass or panfish in that same body of water, because once you get them established, we do get some reproduction on some of those. That's correct, and I would classify it more supplemental stocking at that point. A lot of those bodies of water still do receive some stocking, but um, it's certainly not as intensive as it would be in trout lakes. Now, before we get to the catchable trout, walleyes are the second most popular uh, species in the West here, trout being number one. Uh, and for a reason, they taste really good, and they're a good sport fish. And, of course, that there's a family of fish, walleye, sauger, and sogai, that are all related and interbred. Um, Colorado has incredible walleye fishing, but we have very little natural reproduction. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, it, it's it's sort of the case again, once once again, of both the uh, situation with our lakes and the biology of the fish. And um, a lot of our reservoirs can experience drawdowns, so that affects uh, affects natural reproduction negatively. But um, luckily, we can take those eggs into the hatchery, and we'll experience a far better success rate with them. Uh, we had a very, very interesting walleye spawn this year, actually, and it started out very slow, but it really ended with a bang, and we had some record walleye uh, days, both at Pueblo and Cherry Creek Reservoirs. Well, um, and I, yeah, I think what happened was that that late weather, 
on Pueblo, you were able to start pretty close to your normal time, but Cherry Creek was frozen. And I actually remember a year, this probably goes back two, three decades because I'm old, where the walleyes actually, we had a late late spring and most of the spawning took place under the ice because there comes a point where they're not going to wait for the water temperature. And But the program went, and I know you guys always have a goal, and I was traveling a lot, and I was kind of concerned how it went, but you told me when we talked earlier this week that that it was almost like it was compressed into a week or two when it did start, but with the open water and very successful. Yeah, that's that was sort of my, my thoughts on it, and there may be um, other people who would have a different opinion on it, but um, yeah, I felt like it was sort of just a perfect storm of... Uh, the walleye sort of getting a late start and then it warmed up very quickly and they really moved up fast. And we had uh, some, some big days out there where we caught and spawned a lot of walleyes. Now there is a little bit of natural reproduction of walleyes in a few places, but typically you're stocking these walleyes as fingerling and fry. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. They go back out the door of our hatcheries very quickly, especially compared to trout. Yeah. They're an expensive fish to raise. What, um, what, uh, you know, if we tell people the numbers, it's millions, and it sounds like wow. But you got to take in the uh, concern the survival rates at at that point. But how long does it take for one of these stock walleyes or sauger and sagai to reach uh, a reasonably catchable size? Again, I would say that depends a little bit on the body of water, but I would estimate anywhere in the three to four year range to produce a quality size walleye in most lakes. Well, I think we're having a tremendous success rate with the walleyes. In fact, we're going to get a report um, and just a little bit from Nate Zielinski about his walleye tournament on Cherry Creek. And I've helped out with the spawn, and I've had friends with the walleye club. And, and of course, Parks and Wildlife has been part of the show for over two decades. And I've seen and heard of walleyes that if they would just eat a couple big shad when they were brought in from the span of the spawn in Colorado, could actually challenge world records. We have some big fish in this state. We do. And I've participated a couple times at the walleye spawns where I've seen uh, fish that are in the mid teens, 13, 14, 15 pounds. So those are, those are large walleyes anywhere in the world. And yeah, there's there's some bigger, even bigger ones out there, I'm sure. Well, and, you know, they, they got big by not being easy to catch, so they're out there. Right. And so we have not only the numbers, but we have a lot of uh, fun. And walleye's been a great success story of the hatchery system in Colorado. But I want to take a couple minutes now and talk. We talked about the fact you stock the cold water species also. And you do stock those as fingerlings, fry, subcatchables. You try to supplement waters by supporting it. But a huge part of the hatchery program is also the put-and-take catchable fish. And you stock those seasonally by what the water temperatures are and the pressure those lakes will get. And growing up in the Midwest, we had a lot of panfish, a lot of bluegills, crappies. Not that we don't have those fish in Colorado, but we don't have the propensity of them or the amount of them that we did in the Midwest. So the stockable trout kind of become our panfish, the fish that when you want to teach kids to fish, you take them out for stockable trout. When you just want to go and catch some fish, the average angler has a couple days, and I'm a kid when I'm just out catching fish, you just want to have those successful days. Those trout really provide an incredible resource, don't they? Yeah, they do. I, I totally agree with that. I actually, I grew up in the Red Feather Lakes area. So some of the very first fishing memories I have are um, ice fishing at Dowdy and West and also for uh, stream brook trout in the Deadman area. So I'm, I'm right in that boat. I definitely, those were my bluegills when I grew up. Um, and the hatcheries are definitely out there. This is the time of year when we're stocking a lot of catchables. A lot of the hatcheries are 
are really packed uh, from overwintering fish, and uh, we're doing a lot of stocking right now, a lot of catchables going out. So now, those are. Go ahead. I was going to say now that you know a lot of the mountain lakes are still frozen, so I would assume a lot of those stockings are taking place right here in the Front Range right now. Yeah, that's right. Uh, some of the lower elevation lakes, the water temperatures are perfect for trout stocking right now. And um, I always like to say that as the season progresses, we sort of follow the ice line up the mountains. And uh, we'll start to work our way into the foothills and then to the higher elevations as the lakes ice off. But for the time being, yes, we are doing a lot of front range stocking. And, you know, if some people think that, oh, they don't, you know, I saw them, so I, I know where they're at or they won't tell me. But you put those fish in wanting people to catch them and you publish that stocking report. I carry the fishing report on my social media account on Facebook on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We just put it up yesterday. That has a link to the stocking report. You want people to know where those fish are because you want them to go catch them. Yeah, that's right. I just looked at the stocking report before I came on, and it's been updated through April 5th uh, with our 10-inch catchable schedule. So it's on the CPW website under things to do. It's really easy for people to find, and I would encourage anybody to take a look at that if they're looking for somewhere that's been recently stocked. Well, I appreciate you coming on. We're out of time, but I think it's important because there are a lot of anglers in Colorado, and a lot of people appreciate the diversity of fishing here, and it's, I think it's important they understand why we have the opportunities we have here. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem, Terry. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. That's Dave Carr from Parks and Wildlife. By the way, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. This fishing report is on there with a link to the stocking report. We're going to take a time out. We'll be back after these messages on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Now, I want—I uh, always want to take a little time before we go to our next segment and remind you to follow us on social media. We put a lot of information up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And then, of course, our YouTube channel has over 110 of our television episodes on it. And that's the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom. But the Facebook page... Um, we, you heard us talking about the stocking report. The fishing report, as soon as it comes out, we get it right from them. It goes immediately on our, our Facebook page. And if you follow us, you're going to get it immediately. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, fishing reports, stocking reports. If we're going to have any type of a special thing going on on the show, we, we, pro, we promo that on the Facebook page. We bring up a lot of my Denver Post columns on the Facebook page. In fact, if you went through uh, my Facebook page right now, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, and then just scroll down. You'd see the fishing report. You would see um, a, a report that uh, on the new uh, ability to stay out late and fish at Horsetooth and Carter Reservoir because of, or at least Horsetooth for sure, because what they've been able to do there to make late entry, a late exit from the lakes, you can night fish. You'd see um, articles on fishing John Martin Reservoir, which is an incredible fishery that you need to have on your plans today. You'd see one on catchable trout we just talked about and the hatcheries. And you'd see one on shore fishing and the giant trout that you can catch 
uh, right here on the Front Range right now, and I'm talking rainbows up to 10 pounds. So all that information and so much more, you have to, if you haven't been on our Facebook page before, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, go to it and just page down through the articles, and I'll bet you won't be on very long before you'll find one that applies to exactly what you do. Even if you're not a fisherman, there's hunting articles, there's interaction with wildlife articles, there's just so much that I've written for the Denver Post over the years, plus uh, interviews of people we've had on this show. So go and check that out. Uh, we had a call from Bobby. He wanted to know if we had any information on Pruitt. Um, Brad Peterson fishes Pruitt quite a bit, and I, uh, my producer, Karen, got a hold of him, and he said the water level is good right now. Crappie bite is starting there. The inlet is running a little water, so he said try the inlet along the dam, and for all species, really. Uh, and I'm going to ask uh, Austin Parr is going to come on with us later in this hour and the second hour, rather. And I'll ask Austin. He gets reports from all over the state. I would think the uh, other warm water species would be starting to move there, too. This cold weather might have had them on and off, but we'll try to get you a little more in-depth information than that. I haven't been out to Pruitt, and I've been out of town, so that's what we can do right now. I talked to a few other people around the state. We're going to try to keep you on top of what's going on as this weather changes. We were going to have a couple fly fishing guys on this week. But the mountain uh, lakes and a lot of the rivers even just aren't real fishable right now. There are some places where it is extremely fishable and it's good. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that a little later. Deckers is doing well right now. The Arkansas River is doing right now. I would imagine the Big Thompson is fishing well and maybe the Pooter down low. But uh, you got, I talked to the folks up at North Park and they said the ice on the rivers is just cracking off and the lakes are still capped over. So they're really not doing any outings. Uh, another thing that's going to affect fishing that we want to follow both here on the radio and on our Facebook page is going to be this runoff. We have uh, epic snow in the mountains, which could lead to epic flooding. Now, normally we'd have started to see some runoff off and on by now. There's been very little because uh, the weather hasn't stayed warm long enough and it's piled more snow on top. So if we get uh, at a turn to really warm, warm weather... And we get a thunderstorm or two. Some of that could come down quickly. If it melts slowly with cold nights, we could see runoff into July where the fly fishing on some of these rivers could be difficult, but you'll have to, it's not undoable, but you'll either have to approach it differently or go to different options. So we intend to cover all that and keep you appraised of how that's going. The other thing in the spring is we want to talk about, and the whole next hour is going to be a lot about fishing, we want to talk about how cold fronts affect spring fishing. You know, in the summer, the fish settle into patterns where they don't change their behavior a lot for sometimes weeks, even months, and then fall you see change, but it's a slower pace of change. With this type of spring we're having right now, we're going to see some rapid change in behavior and location of fish. We're going to try to keep you on that and keep you the best information we can to help you catch fish. Uh, we'll take a quick time out. We come back. Nate Zielinski will join us. He's got a walleye tournament going on at Cherry Creek. He'll update us on what kind of success they're having there right now from the water. And then we'll go over general conditions on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. <laughs> 